You're listening to Partnernomics Podcast, where we discuss the art and science of developing successful strategic partnerships. To learn more about the suite of Partnernomics solutions, visit Partnernomics.com. All right, welcome back to another episode of Partnernomics Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Brigman, and we've got a fun, fun episode for you today. If you love technology, if you love talking about ecosystems and having some examples of how ecosystems are playing out. If you love Internet of Things, you're really going to love hearing from our guest today, Mr. Peter Lay. Peter, how are you doing, man? Good. How are you? Good, 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 man. So you are joining us from from the Arlington or Dallas area. Is that correct? Dallas, Texas. You got yeah. it. Yeah. yeah. Is it nice and hot down there yet? You know, we've had a, a string of rainy days. Um, so for the last two weeks, it's just been raining. So it feels like Seattle more than Dallas. <laughs> so it's well, you, much appreciated because typically in June, it's yeah. super hot. So, Well, you know, the, you know, the heat and the steam and all that stuff oh, is coming, man. It's coming. <laughs> so this is a much needed break for sure. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Man. So Peter is the vice president of strategic alliances for Internet of Things America. Um, just a really cool company doing some awesome stuff. And uh, man, I just always enjoyed my opportunities to, to chat with Peter and other technology partnering professionals like himself. But Peter, if you wouldn't mind, love to just uh, you know have you chat a little bit about your background, kind of how did you jump into uh, you know into the into the corporate world, yeah. and then how did you make your way to the partnership seat? Yeah, well, you know, my, my background is, is a technical background. I came out of college with a with a computer science degree. So I've always had that interest in technology, how things break and how can we fix it. Um, but I landed my first job as a salesperson, surprisingly. So um, really from that, really enjoy talking to people, understanding what I'm trying to solve, what problem they have. Um, so went from sales to an enterprise role where I, my, where I became you know, a traditional sales engineer, where I worked with large enterprise teams on large accounts to help their customers to find solutions for the problem. And that's why I first started to work with partners, vendors, right? Um, you know, so it's interesting, you know, I, I, I became curious about what made one partner, one vendor better than the other. You know, why, were, why do we have thousands of partners in our ecosystem and what, and, and what can we do to make them better, make them perform better, make them engage more? So I started to engage my, the partners that brought in, talk to them on a, on a, on a deeper level. And, 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 you know, it's not interesting, you know, a, a role came up in a company at Verizon where I was for 17 years for partnerships. And I thought, you know what, this is a great opportunity to dig in a little deeper on how partnerships are formed, um, what makes a partnership tick and how do you enable it to go past the beginning initial stage, right? The, the part where once a contract is signed, what happens after that? So really enjoyed that opportunity to learn about the human connection, how you know, trust and transparency are core to a partnership. And, and again, you know, I was also at the front of the line seeing the new companies come in, the new technology being built, leveraging 4G, 3G, et cetera, right? So it was exciting to have all of my worlds converge into one. Um, and then from there, I just built upon that, you know, uh, left Verizon, uh, did a little bit of consulting on some startups on how to build their channel strategy, how to leverage um, partnerships to grow revenue. And then I and landed to where I am today, which is Internet of Things America. You know, we are a, um, a IoT services and solution provider 
for rural America. So we take IoT, we take the solutions, but we wrap it around the components that are always um, of concern, right? That is helping the customer find the product that, they, that fits the problem. And then from there, how to support and sustain that product for the life of the product. So we wrap it around the whole user experience. So I've always approached partnerships from a level of understanding what's the core need of the customer, the end user, and then reverse engineer the partners to fit into that mode. Yeah. Man, I love that so much. And, uh, you know, I think whenever I think of a great example of a, of a company to use with respect to ecosystems, it's companies like yours that I think is the easiest to understand what that means. Mm -hmm. And so I want to I want to kind of dig into this one with you, but uh, I love what you said about it's starting with a customer first. How can you make the easy button bigger or as big as it can be? That's kind of the, the words that we use. But starting with a customer, what's the job to be done? What are they trying to solve? And then how can your organization's capabilities play a role in that? So I'd love for you to paint a, at least one example or maybe a couple different examples. Yes, you say Internet of Things for rural America. Okay, what does that mean? Give yeah. us some examples. That's big. So rural America means, I mean, it could be anything. I mean, you, you have components like a smart town, which mirrors into smart cities, right? Same use cases, same problems addressing their citizens' well-being. But rural America is synonymous with agriculture. When someone thinks about rural America, they think about the farm. And in the farm, you have a ton of different components that play. You're looking at equipment, you're looking at uh, livestock, you're looking at you know, farming and pigs, et cetera. You're looking at monitoring diesel tanks. You look, it's, it's an operation. It is a very big operation, no matter if it's a small farm or a large farm. It's all the same needs. So you know, for example, right? So we could come into an opportunity because a farmer says, look, you know, I want to understand, um, I want to understand uh, how well my crops can become, how well can they do for the next upcoming harvest cycles. So we'll come in, right, and at the very basic level, talk about the value. Okay, what is it that you're trying to understand? Is it because you're, you're spending a lot of money, too much money on irrigation? Is it because you're spending too much money on fertilizing? You know, what are we getting, what are we trying to get at, right? What's the root of the need? Um, and then we then build in the layers around it. So soil health, for example, soil moisture systems that we can then implement into the operation so that their, farm, their workers can now um, remotely check on a soil moisture level, for example, without having to walk around, grab a clump of soil, squeeze it, and kind of justify how much they needed water. Um, but from there, you kind of look at, from an ecosystem perspective, what other gaps can we fill? What other partners can we bring in to leverage that vision of a connected digital farm. So typically what we do is from there, we then back evaluate, um, okay, from there, let's talk about that harvester. Let's then talk about the equipment, right? That you wanna become more efficient with. Let's then talk about that lone worker that is going out there walking the field. So everything revolves around one need, one problem that we can expand upon. And we'll come in, build a network around it. And then from there, make it, like you said, the easy button, right? Make it easier for them to implement the services and solutions into their needs. So the farmer now has a single app that does X, Y, Z. So he or she doesn't have to rely on 
one or two other folks to do these mundane tasks that they could then assign other tasks for them that makes better sense. So it's a whole, it's a big pit play. And it's basically, you see um, an ecosystem come to life almost, right? We talk about partnerships and yeah. on a farm. Yes, yeah, so I, I grew up uh, in a farming community yeah. in rural America. So this really resonates with me. My best friend is a farmer. Yeah. You know, so whenever you're talking about um, levels of water, the, the amount of just feeding and watering your animals, the moisture content of grain and grain bins so they don't rot, the levels and the height right. and the amounts of, of all of those components. Man, farming is such a, a manual and laborious job. Right. And another thing is a lot of it seems like it's, it's, it's a lot of gut feel um, as opposed yeah. to using data. And that's what I love about the work that, that you guys are doing is we no longer have to guess. You know, we can actually put devices, measuring devices in various settings and start to extract and pull data, but then also extrapolate on what we need to be doing. Help help farmers, help people in general with decision making. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I, I think, you know, we're almost we're at this crux, right? You have um, generations and generations of, of farmers that have really relied on gut, right? But you have a new wave of farmers coming in that understand data, right? They know the, the value. So we're trying to merge the two together because we know we have to respect generations of farming. It's gotten us to where we are today. So, so we, there's value in that, but there's also value in, in getting them, making their lives a little bit easier, right? Making it a little bit better so they don't have to be out there 24 seven. Um, so we're trying to really break that break that mold, if you will, and, and, and prepare the next generation of farmers to, to um, leverage data into the farms. Because that's the thing, you know, we've talked to younger farmers, you know, when we, we, uh, we were at uh, Mizzou uh, in one of their courses, and we talked to them, right? And, and we found that, um, you know, the next generation aren't too attracted with the daily manual labor tasks, right? but they still value farming. They still know, um, but they also know that there's a wave of products in the ecosystem today. And, and how can we help them push them a little bit into that next year so that when they go farm, that they are coming out better and more efficient than, than before. So Peter, from a technology perspective of what's coming in the future, maybe what's here now, but what's coming in the future, are there some things out there from a technology perspective that might surprise people, different applications. So I'm thinking yeah. drones, for example, maybe. Are there some different technologies that are out there on the horizon or being tested now that uh, that might be surprising? Yeah, I mean, drones for sure, right? So drones has, has been used, um, is being used in, in, in some cases, in test cases, various. it is still fairly early. I mean, you, you're running into, um, you know, when you talk about drones, you have to look at infrastructure to support the, trans, the transmission of data between a drone, right? Um, so there is still an infrastructure component. But what's interesting is, um, is uh, the solutions that are coming out are, are becoming, um, are starting to really hone into specific metrics, specific data points that are valuable. For example, let's start with the use case of soil moisture, right? Soil health. Um, so soil moisture, soil health is one thing, but then to be able to drill down to the actual nutrients, the MBK levels is another thing, right? Because that influences fertilizer output, right? Or input, I'm sorry. 
And so, so getting a holistic picture of, of what's in the soil versus just the moisture, you're gonna start, you know, data is still, data adoption in farming is, is still on the rise. We're seeing solutions become a little bit smarter. You know, solutions um, at, that collect the data and, and, and really start to pr predict um, a little bit of where the trends are is coming out. And this can apply also to, to, to biological sensors, right? So understanding from a cattle and swine perspective, right? Starting to understand, okay, now I can almost understand fertility cycle, health cycle, based on um, how the animals react on a farm, how they congregate, how they move, you know? So it's starting to become, you know, where you do have to look at, you really have to pay attention to data because again, the traditional way is to watch and learn, right? More visual, but when the farmer is away from the farm and the calf is born somewhere else, that's a potential um, concern, right? They gotta go, and so, but what if I can track that or predict when that happens, that's gonna give one more piece of insight for the farmer, the rancher to, to really build practices around preventing the calf from being born by itself on there. Um, so we're seeing data becoming much more valuable to help provide that, that deep level insight versus the traditional, you know, traditional IoT solutions like level, it's always been around, okay, what's my level of a diesel tank? What's my level of a grain silo? Those are, you know, what's the temperature in a grain silo? Those are pretty, you know, pretty abundant today in the market, but now we're talking about deeper, deeper levels, which is exciting. Yeah, Peter, I know you spent uh, a bit of your time working on the startup side, or at least kind of working with a lot of startups. I'd like to talk about partnerships and partnering specifically from the startup perspective. Yep. What's maybe some advice or some insights that you can share uh, based upon your career and your work in uh, startups as well as working with startups? Yeah, so that's a great question. You know, I, I still currently um, do a bit of mentoring for some startups. Um, you know, we, we, I participate in some audio chats through Clubhouse on go-to-market strategy for startups and on partnerships. But really, I think from a startup perspective, you have to understand that if you come into a partnership, that you have to have a clearly defined value proposition, first of all, right? Because if you can't come to the table with why or what you can provide to your partner, that's a tough position to be in. Second of all, right, it's, the, it's having the resources to make sure that the partnership works beyond the, the agreement. Right. And if you're in a startup, partnerships is a lever you can pull to get into new markets and get to new customers. But at the, at the same time, if you're coming into a partnership without the resources to enable your partners to sell your product, to maintain that level of engagement after the day one, then that's tough. So I think being prepared internally is huge, right? Getting a buy-in from leadership to say, look, I'm coming into this partnership. Here's what this partnership will bring to my company, as well as our partner, you know, creating that whole new joint value proposition, right? The one plus one plus three mentality. And this is why as a leadership team, you have to see why this is the approach you want to do and the approach that we want to go for. Um, so having that internal buy-in to allocate resources, to push that partnership past year, year one, year two, even, even month number two, right? So getting and pushing into that is critical. But at the same time, if you don't have that plan in place to make the partnership onboarding, frictionless, easy to work with, getting the tools enabled. So all of those operational pieces um, to make it function at the end of the day, that's a tough one. So it's like, a, there's a lot of things, you know, I, I stress our 
I stress startups to build that go-to-market strategy for partnerships, kind of like creating the, creating the ideal partner profile, the channels you want to deliver, what value you bring, and then how you will bring it. If they can accomplish and address those levers, then they will come out ahead of the competitor. Yeah, I love that. Uh, Peter, let's talk about the opposite end of the spectrum. The sumos, the big dogs. Yeah. I know you spent a lot of time with Verizon. Right. I spent over a dozen years at, at Sprint. Yeah. Worked with a lot of small companies as well as large companies, but uh, from the Sumo's perspective, from that big company perspective, what's uh, maybe some insights that you can share um, about partnering and and you know how partnerships help the the Sumo's? Yeah, I mean, so uh, you know, as a, in my days at Verizon, we looked at partnerships um, in a way to get us into new customer segments and use cases. You have. You work with other companies, you partner with companies to fill in a gap perhaps in your portfolio um, or to plug in a partner into your ecosystem where you see a need, right? So it was a, it was a vehicle to land and expand, if you will. You know, so we partnered with obviously other Sumos, but a, a, a majority of my partners actually while at Verizon were the mid-sized smaller companies because I valued their agility. I valued the, the fact that they're able to come on Obviously, you know, we've set expectations. We aligned our value proposition. We know what, as Verizon, we brought to the table and the, and the partner brought to their, from their side to the table. So we're able to really push the market forward together. Um, so that's really what I think from a sumo process what they're looking for. They're looking for companies that can come in, um, address a market that they couldn't address, or maybe, you know, or maybe even, I say, much needed improvement in their current user, current offering. I'm bringing the smaller partners to come in to fill in those gaps, innovate. I mean, we built, I mean, you look at Verizon today with the robust venture program, you know, um, so it's a big initiative, not just with Verizon, with any large sumo, right? Um, so I think that is uh, really what you see from a sumo to startup, what they need. But then again, from a startup to sumo, they, the startups have to understand that sumo, there's a different process when you're in a sumo, lengthier process, multiple people to talk to. So you have to have the basic understanding of timelines and how things flow out as well. How about uh, something that I'd like to just kick out as, as an observation that I've had, again, working on with both sides from a coaching perspective on partnering is the importance for startups to, to have a growth or a revenue strategy that goes beyond only having that come from the sumos. Right. One of the things that I hear from, let's call it the Fortune 100s that we work with, is they get pretty nervous if they hear that uh, that they are the sumo is is the plan for revenue and existence for the startups. What kind of advice would you give for some of these founders, these entrepreneurs that uh, are building, you know, a, a great product, great solution in their mind? They they see where it could be a fit for a sumo but they don't have any direct revenue strategy outside of the sumo. Talk to, talk to that entrepreneur for me. Uh, don't do it yet. I mean, <laughs> you know, you know, I remember, you know, I had a discussion with a uh, entrepreneur startup founder and whatnot, um, who their strategy was to be on Salesforce's marketplace, Amazon's marketplace and the Google marketplace. So they basically chose all the big ones and, and, and assumed, well, I now am part of their ecosystem. Therefore, I can kind of sit back and leverage that. But what they don't understand is you're in, a, you're in a crowded sea of partners, thousands and thousands of partners. So if you can't 
if you don't have anything else on top instead of that, you are just asking for trouble. You know, it's all, you know, if you don't build the direct, the, you know, it doesn't, you don't necessarily have to wait forever to build that relationship or to try to pursue a, a, a partnership with a sumo. But if you don't have those practices in place, if you don't have the operational pieces in order, the resources in order to understand how sales functions, how channel sales work, then, then, then that's the piece that I think is, 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 it's just, again, it's just asking for trouble, right? Um, so I, you know, what you always want to do is the sumo partnership really gets you, obviously it gets you from, I would say point A to point B, but after you've already developed those mechanics internally to direct sell, at least understand the market. That could be, you know, partnering with a, a smaller partner. Um, you know, I know there, you know, you can partner with a competitor really to build out a new product and services. Um, once you understand how partnerships really work, what sales enablement, what triggers to pull and what levers to kind of put, kind of pull um, to help a partner succeed. That's when you then decide, okay, then you go into a kind of that sumo approach. But right, if you don't have the foundation laid out in the beginning to even understand what a sales motion looks like, um, and then you come in and expect a sumo to do everything for you, you're just, that's tough to do because those, you know, as a large company, again, you have thousands of partners that you work with. Um, so what makes you as a startup founder different than the thousands of others? And it's, if you can bring to the table the experience, the actual use cases, um, the knowledge in the customers, the knowledge in what the market needs, then, then you're coming in with a stronger value proposition than someone who doesn't have any of that built up. Yeah, Peter, I'd like to, to go back and see if we can paint the picture of, of the ecosystem and the ecosystem approach and kind of the ecosystem mindset a little bit more for entrepreneurs or just uh, partnering professionals in general. Um, you know, I think partnerships of old, uh, to use an analogy, it's almost like, you know, you're, we're trying to find a spouse, right? We're trying to find somebody that we can partner up with to go tackle the world and, and make some money, right? To make our companies stronger. But it's like this ecosystem approach, instead of it being more of a traditional one-to-one -one approach, it's now a one-to-many. So now we are, instead of just the spouse, right, it's, it's parents and grandparents and nieces and nephews and aunts and all those sorts of things, right? We're building yeah. a web around us. Yeah. So from, from that partnering professional's perspective, Right. And again, I think, you know, IoT Americas, you guys, Internet of Things Americas, you guys sit in a, as a great example of how many different companies it takes and not just companies. Right. It's, it could be it's people. It's even it's influencers. It's these these technology thought leaders that I would imagine you guys would also see as part of your ecosystem. But if you would kind of talk to us a little bit about the mindset when it comes to developing a partnering strategy because it's more than just a one-to-one -one yep. approach. Right, yeah, like you said, one-to-one, -one, it, it's long and gone, right? Companies that still rely on that, it, it's, it's, it's not the way it is today. Um, but it, so to me, again, it, it boils down to that, that whole job to be done mentality. If I can understand, really understand the core, what the customer really needs to solve, um, then my approach to ecosystem, building that ecosystem partners becomes clearer. Um, I can leverage partners today in my ecosystem to fill in a ton of different use cases for that one customer. So I can be, you know, bring in services, I can bring in solutions, I can bring hardware, I can bring in applications um, because I know what the customer really needs to solve. 
you know, I don't need, I'm not selling them a tool, right? I'm not selling them just one pointer. I'm selling them that, that vision or that, that whole ecosystem. So they understand that what it, it does take a village, like you said, to solve a, a problem, right? And, and, and partners appreciate that, okay? They appreciate that, that you're looking out for their customer. So they appreciate that, okay, I can bring, even bring my partners referrals from other partners in some cases, depends on you know, what, what the customer needs. Um, so partners appreciate that the thought and the consideration for the customers that you're looking out for the partner. So building that ecosystem that's multi-lane, multi-dimensional is really, you know, it's almost a community, like getting into a community, right? You know, it's like you go, you join a community online and you sign up, right? And it's just, you don't see any value until everybody collaborates together. People share insights, people talk about use cases, people talk about hits and misses. That's when the community thrives. So I think that shift from an ecosystem to becoming more of a community is what I'm trying to do, right? I'm trying to leverage that. I mean, and it, it is a different mind shift, like you said, you know, because we grew up in the world of one-to-one, -one, sign it and work on one and kind of work it that way. But, you know, if you look at today's buyer, trying to get a seat at the buyer's table early on in the buying journey is where it's at. You know, if I can influence the influencers of the customer, not just the level one, but the actual influencers of those, you know, that's the key. That's why we're, we partner, that's where we go with universities. That's where we work with consultants and farming agronomists, right? Because those are the influencers that, that, that get to the buyer. So un, if you understand that type of mentality on a buyer journey and overlap that with a partner journey and then build an ecosystem around it, that's really where you start to see things start to really happen, but it takes time. I mean, just again, it takes time, but it, it'll get there. It's like the buying decisions today aren't at the traditional no. sales seat. It's like the, those those decisions are made long before, you know, a lot, lot earlier uh, in the process. I think I, I read it was 70% digital buyers have already made up their mind before they even talk to a, a rep or somebody. I mean, they've already made up their mind. So sometimes there's a friction where you have to talk to somebody to sign up. I get it. But I want to get early. I want to be in the beginning, right? That's that's what I'm trying to do with with, with building partnerships, partner success, et cetera. Yeah, I love what you said about relationships and community, and you've got to be involved in mm -hmm. all of those different uh, all those different conversations. Mm -hmm. uh, Peter, I'd love to just kind of use that as a segue to to throw this last question at you, and that is, um, you know, again, you and I both uh, came from big corporations yeah. and uh, we worked our way into smaller organizations but uh you know focused on this partnering career uh, i'd like for you to talk a little bit just about the importance of culture and more specifically partnering cultures partnership cultures and what that means and how executives can can help proliferate or foster this partnering culture, right? In our communities now, in our companies now, we are reliant more and more on other organizations for our own success. As you mentioned, you know, it's the, it's the ecosystem, it's the communities, it's, it's being uh, omni, omnipresent yeah. almost. But that in a lot of ways is a culture and a culture shift from the traditional company of 5, 10, 15 years ago. Yeah, I mean, that's core, cool, right? The partner-centric culture is really critical to make it all happen, right? You have to get buy-in. You have to have the ability to have that vision um, from top down, even bottom up, right? I mean, it just has to have um, 
you have to have the buy-in to understand how partnership affects each department, each team within an organization. Um, you know, so if you're able to, um, if you're able to sit down, communicate the value. Okay, this is why I'm. But partnership means not just obviously from a revenue perspective, but what does it mean to the folks in sales, in marketing, in customer success, in operations, right? If you can align with their core KPIs or what their vision is, okay, what are you guys trying to solve as a team? Um, then, and how can I, as a partnership professional, uh, help you achieve that faster? Then, then let's figure out a way. Because when you build partnerships, it's all you have to get the internal buying um, to see why you're going to pursue and take up resources out of their day to make it happen, right? I mean, it's hard to fit into that product roadmap, right? And you know, they don't like another thing on the product roadmap, right? So and I'm trying to say, well, I need this integration done or this, right? But so you have to really, before you even do that, un have them understand the value of that, um, of that culture. And it is that collaborative thing. And it is a very top, you know, top down partnership subject, which is why, you know, it's really important to have someone at the, at the table, if you will, that has that partnership mindset. I know I mean, I know there's, I'm trying to, you know, I think, I think in a few years we'll get there. Um, so, but, but I think right now, I, I, I talk to many startups, many companies where partnerships roll into different orgs, right? Some are in sales, some are in marketing, some are here, some are here, right? So, so that means that that partner professional at the end of the day is influenced by whoever or whatever department they're under. You know, and I think sometimes a partnership needs to be in a way, um, like a top-down, where it's a, a whole top-down organizational um, vision and goal to make the partnership work. If that makes sense, right? I think. Yeah. And it, absolutely. It's um, so it's. Um, so yeah. So we built in those things. You know, we we announce wins whenever a partnership wins. Whenever a partner deal comes in and wins, we announce it internally. We kind of give a hoorah thing going on, so they see the, the they see all of the results of all the hard work. You know, we kind of whenever a partnership is signed, we announce it internally. Hey, look new partner has been signed. So we get everybody engaged and aware of when partnerships happen. Um, so they feel like they're involved as well. Let's get to yeah. Great insights. Peter, great chatting with you again. Thanks for your time. Yeah, thank you. It's been fun. Well, good, uh, good luck to you in the future. We're watching you as you continue to grow the team out there and all the cool initiatives you have going on with the technology at uh, Internet of Things America. Uh, it's gonna be fun to continue watching you uh, build the business. Oh yeah, much appreciate. Thank you for your time. Thank you for coming allowing me to come on here. It's been fun talking to you. I love talking about this. Obviously, you can tell, but um, yeah, definitely. Partnernomics podcast is brought to you by Partnernomics. Learn how to leverage the power of partnership. To listen to more episodes of Partnernomics podcast, visit partnernomics.com.